going to read out of Mark chapter 3. Verse 13, and Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. I'm going to read out of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Father, I thank you that your word is living and active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we just continue to invite you to mold us, God, that you would speak in this place and that the hands of the potter would be actively working as your word proceeds forth. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you were given to us to guide us into the truth. And we ask that you will do that in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I was uh, prepared. I had a message to preach to you um, continuing this topic of the favor of the Lord. And the Lord interrupted my preaching series, How Dare He?, and said, that's not the word tonight. So praise be to God. I yielded and said, okay, what is the word? And he said, I want you to preach from rest, which is his way of telling me, I want you to just rest in my presence and I'll give you the words to speak. So I have some ideas of what I believe the Lord wants to speak. I'm going to offer it to you in meekness. And, uh, but it's resting on me and it's resting on me quite strongly. I, I'm a big fan of St. Francis. Anybody a St. Francis of CC fan? He's my guy. I can't wait to meet him one day in heaven. We'll probably go on long walks and not talk that much. <laughs> that would just be lovely for me. I am a proud introvert. He was called as a young, wealthy merchant, a son of a very wealthy father in, the, in Italy, Assisi, and he received this call, and it was a very radical call, to sell all his earthly possessions, to give them away, and then he felt, he, he heard God tell him to, to rebuild this chapel. He was looking at this chapel in San Damiano, Damiano, I'm not a Italiano. Damiano, San Damiano, it's a chapel in Italy, okay? Um, he heard the Lord say, rebuild this. He took it to be a literal command. He physically rebuilt the broken down chapel. It took him years to realize that that was a prophetic call to rebuild the church. But he sold everything and he went into 
uh, what we would think of as a hermitage, and he went into the cave with God, and he became deeply intimate with God. Um, he was ridiculed for it. He shaved his head. People thought he was out there, thought he was a weirdo, and they ridiculed him. He was socially outcasted because of his yes to God, because he had his father rejected him, did not like what he had done with his possessions, his inheritance. He was basically not understood in any way, shape, or form. But there was a man, a wealthy man named Bernard, who had noticed that despite how people would treat this young Francis, that he had this pious quality to him. And so he was curious. He wanted to get to know what, why doesn't he retaliate? Like, what is it about this kid that's impacting him? And Francis was younger than Bernard. And Bernard had a very beautiful house. He was a wealthy man, and he invited Francis to stay with him. And he actually invited Francis to stay with him in the same room that had different beds because he wanted to see what this man was actually made of. And so the story goes that they go to bed that night. Bernard goes to his bed. Francis goes to his bed. Francis fakes like he falls asleep. And Bernard also fakes like he falls asleep. And 10 minutes after Bernard fakes that he falls asleep, Francis gets out of bed, gets on his knees, and with his eyes towards heaven, says, my God, my God, my God, my God, my God, my God, all through the night until the morning dawn broke. And Bernard was cut by what he witnessed coming forth from the devotion of this Francis to his God and immediately said, I want to be your follower and said, what do I do? And Francis said, sell everything. They went and they deposited as they gave his goods away together. And St. Bernard began to follow Francis and became a life, a lifelong Franciscan. He was his first disciple. I tell that story because I think it captures what Jesus is getting at here. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the second is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 3, when he's calling the apostles, notice what his call to them was that they would be with him so that he could send them out to preach the gospel. I think we've become numb to the disturbing reality of what a saint is. And we kind of have deified saints. Saint Francis, Saint Teresa, Saint so-and-so, it's like we kind of have this unconscious belief that goes something like this. They are just so pious and bent toward holiness in a way that I'm simply not. They're special. They're unique. What if they were actually just what Jesus' vision of a Christian was supposed to be? See, we can admire them, but as soon as we bring it down to a human level... And start to ponder, what would it take to move upon a heart 
be on your knees throughout an evening, an entire night in devotion? What would it take? And if we say that that's a model for what sanctity, what holiness, what discipleship is supposed to look like, it starts to disturb us. Because when we look at the church in America, we see a church that is forsaken the great commandment for the great commission. And this may sound hard, but no, my heart here isn't to be hard. My heart is I want to convict you. I just feel this conviction on me that there is something more than lukewarm mediocrity that Jesus wants to spit out of his mouth. And we think that he loves these lukewarm offerings sometimes. He doesn't. And we're living in a culture like, and I'm not, I love the church. Don't hear me critical. I love the church. But we have to recognize the water we're swimming in as Western Christianity is lukewarm water. And what we think is hot isn't even touching radical. This is the curse of human relativity. Is we, we you know, holiness is a good thing. We kind of compare ourselves to the people we're around. So, you know, I'm, I might be compromising, but compared to the eight people that I spend my time with, Lord, I am righteous. <laughs> Relativity. And, and I guess I'm, tr I sense this stirring inside of me to, to open our eyes to what the relativity, like what the peg is in our culture, it's not that good. We're living in Babylon. We're living in an idolatrous nation, and I'm not slamming on our nation. We just have to call a spade a spade. We're swimming in a, in a broken system. And if we drift, we're not going to drift to a good place. Like we're swimming upstream if we want to walk in the sanctity of Christ and actually be a revelation of Christ to the world and actually live this radical gospel that we're called to. I think we get numbed sometimes to how radical the gospel is. It's just, it's all in. One of the luxuries that I've had in, in, my, in my life, I'm, I'm almost 32, at 17, was when the Lord started the awakening in me. And this was long before I ever had any desire to be in ministry. And God touched me. He awakened me. I began having deep longings for God, awkward to me. Like I would read my Bible at night, and I didn't want anybody to know. One time my mom walked in the room, and I just chucked that thing across the room as hard as I could. And she was like, what was that? And I was like, nothing. She's like, no, what was that? She probably thought I had like a bag of marijuana or something like that. She goes over the room and finds my Bible, you know, crumpled against the edge of the door or whatever. She said, why did you chuck your Bible? And I was like, 
I don't know. I didn't want you to know, you know? But I started having these deep longings. I remember it was probably actually about 16. I started having these deep longings for God I didn't know what to do with. I started reading the Bible all the time. I started taking, I was traveling for golf all the time. I started taking my Bible and just reading my Bible. And I just, I didn't know how to describe it. It was really awkward. But God just began doing this thing in me. And then all this pain came into my life that just amplified this deep yearnings. And I was so dysfunctional and relationally really just, causing a lot of damage and I was anointed but I didn't know what to do with that I didn't even know what that was and I'm not trying to paint some picture that I was like some holy person at this point but I was hungry for God and and then I was in so much pain I just kept seeking God because I needed God because I knew that the only thing that could ever save me from this was God I had no aspirations for ministry is what I'm trying to get at it was five years before I had any aspirations for ministry I just spent a lot of time with God because I learned that God was my peace and he was my comfort and he was my healing and he started changing me from the inside out. Then other people started hearing me talk about God and say, I think you're called to be a preacher. And I'd be like, no, not, not at all. I don't even like church. Actually, growing up, my parents said, you either have to go to youth group or you have to wash the dishes at the Wednesday night meal. And I gladly washed the dishes for multiple years because I didn't like going to church. So when people start saying, I think you're called to preach, I said, hey, I'm thanks so much. In my head, I'm like, you're crazy. I want to be a professional athlete. Then when that stopped, I was like, I got to do something powerful for my life. Maybe politics. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out. It's probably good. I, I, honestly, though, I was anything, anything, anything but ministry. So when God did put his heart for the church in me, I came into the church pretty naive is what I'm trying to say. I'd had a long history, probably six years really, of just a lot of time with God. And I just want to be real with you. When I say a lot of time, it was probably five hours a day alone with God for those years, if I were to average it out. I was in a painful, painful time. I found God. I knew Jesus. I had learned the great commandment because of the way my story worked out. Then I got into ministry, and I got really naive. I just came in naive, freshy. I was a freshy. I had no idea. Like, the, the thought that you could be too busy to pray as a pastor was like, what? Like, I don't understand that. That's blasphemous. You know, I, ha I was just naive. I only knew my little story. Then I get into ministry, and in the ministry, I start realizing that there's a lot of these booby traps everywhere that nobody told me about. I start getting into ministry and I start filling more pools and all these things pulling me out of prayer than I ever did when I was in college. Because, man, when I was in college, I was so busy. <laughs> I, I wasn't. I'm sorry, college kids, but when you tell me you're busy, I'm like, if you're busy and you don't have time to pray, you're never going to have time to pray. Because it just doesn't get any more time than college. I don't know how else to say that. It's like reality check, you know. I, I, and it, really, anybody who ever says, I'm too busy to pray, that's just an excuse. And excuses are like diapers. They smell terrible. I'm about to learn that, and I'll be able to tell you it firsthand here in a few weeks. But excuses are just excuses. Excuses are just the way we justify lukewarmness and mediocrity. We don't need excuses. We just need to be exposed to what it actually can be, right? I'm on a caveat. I'm coming back to my story. I get into ministry, and I start feeling... All these pools, this, and, and if I were to say what the biggest pool is that I have faced in whatever it's been now, 10 years, almost a full-time ministry, maybe a little less than that, nine and a half, almost a decade into this, is the pool of self-promotion and the aspiration to do something great for God. 
That's probably the biggest thing that I've found. There's just this pool in me. And I get into the church, and I come to the church with no aspirations because I didn't have aspirations for ministry. I just loved Jesus, and he wrecked my heart, and he ravished me. And I didn't, I didn't, I never felt pride about all the hours in prayer because that wasn't hard. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted. That, that was what I would choose to do. I said no to other things that I would have liked because I liked that more. That wasn't some sort of badge of honor. That was like, I just love him. I saw him. And when he changed me, I just wanted to know him. So I'm, I've got this, this narrative and then I get into the ministry and all of a sudden, slowly over time, it's like I just get pulled and then there's the things to do. And then, you know, life's busy. And then things are happening. And I started realizing, like, wow, why do I feel so much tension in the ministry? Why does it always feel like I don't know where to, what's good? And then you're exposed and everybody has opinions of what you should do. And then you see the stories. And then you're on Instagram and you see the big pulpits and the big platforms. And then you see the mega churches. And now I'm like being exposed to all this content that's like evoking other desire and other passions. Well, I want to be great. I want to be something special. I want to be relevant. I want to be productive. I want to be fruitful. And I find myself years in the ministry and still to this day there's wrestling. I'm just aware of the wrestling. But I'm like, whoa, there's a a lot of tension here between this great commandment and the great commission and I found that it's really easy as a minister that I could really easily stand before all of you and give elaborate theological justification for why I can go and do all the great things for God that will feed my ego and I can neglect the great commandment altogether I could do that so easy you might stand on your feet and rah 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 me because that's the water we're swimming in in our culture. We are in uh, the day of promote, 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 become great, do this, external, external, external. But there's an identity crisis as a nation. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody's filled with power. When I say nobody, I'm exaggerating. There are some, but I'm speaking broad strokes. If I'm standing outside the church looking at the church, I'm not like, wow, the church is full of power. Wow, the church is full of humility. Wow, the church they love in a way I've never seen. Wow, the church is holy and humble and approachable, right? The church gets so upset. I'm so tired of hearing Christians point the finger at how messed up America is. Because that's on us. I'm serious. We, we, we point and it's like, oh, the gender and identity and sexuality and morality and Hollywood and this and this and that. But it's like, who was called to transform the nation? It wasn't Hollywood. It is the church of the living God. But the only people that will change a nation are saints sanctified ones, people that are not living lukewarm, caught between the world and this, trying to jessle out if it's, is it my way, is it my life, is it your life, do I give you parts, do I give you portions, debating and negotiating with God, how much do I give you, is it really that radical, do you really expect that I would pray an hour a day, we have all these things that sound wise, they're not wise. They're lukewarm and they sound wise because they're just a little bit better than secular culture. 
my God, my God, my God, my God. What would it be like to touch what Francis touched? What would it be like to be a saint? That's not some noble idea. That is what the Bible's preaching. That is what Jesus shed his blood for. There's no bent in Francis that's special towards piety that you and I don't have. I think the difference between you and I and the saints that walked the ancient way is just the bending of the will and surrender to say yes. Our life should look a little more radical. And I'm, I'm putting myself with you. This is my own internal searching before, the God, before God often. What about my life looks radical, Lord, because everything I read is radical. What, what yes have I given you that's costly, like recently? Is the way that I utilize my money, is it, does it show you that I radically trust you as provider? Or am I bargaining with you all the time? And I bargain, guys. We need salvation. More than I think we realize, we need salvation. Francis came to a point in his ministry. He was in the cave. He was in the cave with God. He was just, he was fulfilling the great commandment. And because he was fulfilling the commandment, fruit started flowing. It's like John 15 works. You get intimate with the vine and his life starts flowing out of you. It's wild. It works. Fruit starts flowing like the story with Bernard. Followers start coming. People start giving everything because there's something hardwired in you and me that when we see a vision of, of godliness, when we see the kingdom, that's why the story that I shared put a holy hush on this room of Francis because when we, when we see that, it touches the deepest part in us. Because we know it's what we were created for. A life all in. My utmost for his highest, as Oswald Chambers said. That's what we all are craving. We all want to run that race. We all want to finish and receive our praise from him. When he says, well done. You left nothing. You left nothing on the table. You left everything in this life. You gave it all. That's, that's what we're living for. That's the bell that signals the wedding started. You gave it all. Now enter into the marriage of the Lamb. Now, now walk down and lock eyes with the one for whom you gave it all for in faith, without seeing. Thomas saw, but Jesus said there are going to be people that give yes without seeing, and that's a greater faith. Like that day is coming. Our life is culminating at a moment where we come before the Lamb. And I don't want to reach that moment with regret in my heart. I'm not preaching about salvation if you're going to get to heaven or not. I think that question breeds from a bargaining, mediocre place of spirituality. I want to get to that moment. 
my God, my love, the one I gave my whole life for, it's here. Now we're culminating. This is a a wild story that we've become a part of. To say yes to Jesus, but only to give part of yes, it's just, it's crazy to me. Francis is bearing fruit. His ministry's growing. And he finds himself at a point in the ministry where he's torn. And he doesn't know what to do because he's torn between, I'll put these words, he didn't say this way, but this will articulate. He's torn between the cave and the road. He's torn because where his soul longs to be is in intimacy with God. But then he sees that his ministry is bearing fruit and transformation in people's lives. There's power. But even still there's power. He, he starts feeling the tussle. Which you don't have to be in vocational full-time ministering to church to feel this tussle. We all feel this tussle. That's why I'm sharing it tonight. You don't have to be me coming into the church ministry to, to recognize there's a tussle going on for our lives. Francis is feeling this tussle. Do I spend my time in the ministry? Do I spend my time in the cave? And he goes in his humility and he submits himself to two people that he respects. Bernard's one of them, Claire, St. Claire. For those of you who read about St. Claire, she was a female contemporary. And he submits and says, whatever you hear from God, that's what I'm going to do. They go away with the Lord. They both come back and separately tell him the exact same thing. So the Lord said, Francis, you're called to both. You're called to both. That's the call we all have. Is it the great commandment or is it the great commission? It's both. We're called to both. But the key to unlocking paradox is you have to find priority. And we cannot touch the Great Commission until we fulfilled the Great Commandment. And I believe in a lot of ways the commission is the consequence of the commandment fulfilled. If I fulfill the commandment, the commission will flow out of me like a branch producing grapes. I'm not pushing grapes out. I'm not telling everybody they need to eat my grapes. Not insecure about if I'm going to have my grapes are good or not. The grapes just come because I fulfilled the commandment. And I'm in union with Jesus Christ. Someone give me a tissue. This is Meister Eckert. He was a, a, a mystic, really. He was a devotional master. Uh, he influenced a lot of people that came after him that you'd probably recognize their names more, but this is him writing about God's delight in outpouring his love into humans. 
says the joy and satisfaction of God delighting in humanity is indescribable. It's like a horse turned loose in a lush meadow, giving vent to his horse nature by galloping full tilt about the field. He enjoys it and it is his nature. And just in the same way, God's joy and satisfaction in his likeness finds vent in his pouring out his entire nature and his being into us, his likeness. There's a story of a woman that had been touched by his ministry who would walk around from village to village. This is 14th century. She would walk from village to village carrying a burning torch in one hand and a pail of water in the other. And people would ask her, what are you doing? And she said, with the pail of water, I want to quench the flames of hell so that people will no longer serve God for fear of judgment. She said, but with the torch, I want to burn up heaven so that people will love God just for himself and not for any reward, earthly reward. When you experience God giving vent to his nature, and pouring his being into you. Prayer no longer becomes a chore. Worship is no longer too long, or not good enough, or not anointed, or not my favorite song. You no longer need to be entertained you no longer need to be motivated by external motivators. You no longer need to be held accountable to be in your quiet time. You, you get gripped in the deepest place of your being and you become like a Francis. You become We could go down the list. Jesus himself, all night in prayer with the Father. The disciples in Acts, all night, all day in the upper room, waiting for 40 days to be clothed with power. Like, you learn how to pray is what I'm trying to articulate. Sanctity is found in the life of prayer. Intimacy is found in a life of prayer. Union is found in a life of prayer. You will never enter into what God has for you if you don't enter into the heart of prayer. And I'm not putting a religious yoke on you. I'm speaking the truth. Intimacy doesn't happen in a microwave. It happens with time. Time and time and time. And he says very clearly, if you seek me and search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Because he's like, I'm longing for you. It's like God wants to give himself to you more than he wants to give himself to the highest angel. And it is our capacity to receive that that changes. Right? What happens in the life of a saint, it's not about the entry into the, into the life with God. It's actually about the posture of their heart 
that where they started is not where they finished. It's not about spectacular moments. It's that where you start isn't where you finish. It's that you're becoming increasingly Christian all along the way. It's that you're willing to be changed. It's that you're willing to be uncomfortable. You're willing to be disturbed. You're becoming more like him, glory to glory, day after day, week after week, month after month. You're looking back on your life and you're saying, wow, I'm not the person that I once was. You're changing me, you're changing me, you're changing me. But transformation comes from gazing on him. Transformation comes when you learn to worship Him, when you learn to touch Him, when you spend your life seeking Him. We say, what about my job? What about your job? It's going to burn up one day. This is temporary. It's nothing. There's a bridegroom in heaven who's yearning for you. What about the bills? What about the bills? What about my time? What about my schedule? What about my kids? Teach your kids to pray. Take your kids with you. God's calling you to something more than Christian mediocrity. You say, this is uncomfortable, Jordan. People might leave the church. That's okay. It's okay. I think God needs to take us back to the early church and refresh ourselves. They didn't even let people in the church for like a year and a half. Because it was uncomfortable to come into church. Because it was a prophetic environment that was challenging the empire that it was being sown into. We need to challenge an empire, and it's not going to take place unless we fulfill the great commandment, because unless we're with him, we won't even see that we're becoming slaves to the empire. You say, man, you're just preaching hard tonight. It's because I want us to enter into the heart of what Jesus paid for. I don't care. I told her, I don't care. I don't care if the church ends. I don't care if everybody doesn't like it. I won't turn my back on this. It's him. It's him. It has to be him. It has to be him. We will never, as a church, we will never actually see the insatiable thirst of self-promotion rooted out of us unless we're a people who fulfill the great commandment. Because then self-promotion becomes unclean to us. We lose our desire for it because in the inside, I have a new culture that says, I don't want that. My life's worship. We'll never get rid of the insecurity and the comparison and the bickering and the gossiping. It will never be rooted out unless we're a people of prayer where we're hearing his voice reminding us day after day, this is who you are. This is who you are. You don't need to compare. They can be powerful and you can be powerful because we're people of identity. We'll never root out the, the, the consumption and the entertainment of the church. You know, the spectator. That will not get rooted out until we are gripped. Gripped by the nature of God and we become worshipers. Who no longer come here to be entertained. You realize this place is uncomfortable on purpose. I know we'd be a lot bigger if we polished up. I know. And I don't say that lightly because that's what I've had to die to. Because what's it mean to be a powerful pastor? You have a big following. But kill it off, God. Make me a worshiper. Make me, make me a saint. Break through what you need to break through so that I can just be content being 
one who fulfills the commandment and trusts you with the commission. Transformation, I think, looks a lot different than we think. We think big, we think bold, we think out loud, we think instant. Kingdom's like leaven. It's like a little mustard seed. Just kind of happens sometimes when you're dead. I don't think Francis thought we'd be talking about him tonight. And he was a man like you and me, with a nature just like ours, with his own battles, with his own lust of the flesh, with his own temptations, with his own humanities, with his own tensions, with his own trying to live out kingdom faithfulness in his world. And we are poised with the difficult assignment of trying to live true to the ancient way in a modern world that is really, really, really competitive for our time, attention, desire. And this is just be my honest truth. It's impossible. We can't do it. That's why this isn't a heavy yoke. You can't do it. Only God can do it. So that our boasting will not be in ourselves, but it will be in the Lord, who alone is able to sanctify a soul and empower them to live as saints and walk as saints of lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that we would shine like stars. But precedes that, have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. This humility of mind that though he was God, he humbled himself and he emptied. How empty will you become? How humble. I just feel so humble before Lord. I'm just like, well, I don't know what to do. I just, I just want you. I just want you. I just want you. We can't do it. It's not our piety. It's not our own willpower. It's not our motivation. We'll fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. We'll get burnout. We'll get exhausted. If we're trying, if we're trying, if we're trying, it's, it's a deeper cry. It's like a cry that just breaks. It's like there's a watchman knee says the outer man is like a shell. And the inner man, the heart, the spirit, that's the place that's yearning for God. But the outer man is the flesh. And the flesh has to break for the release of the spirit. And it's like there's a cry that I know is inside each one of us but it is a breaking cry that just breaks and reaches out from brokenness and says, God, save me, touch me. I don't have anything else. empty. I have, I have nothing. I, I don't even know what to do. I just want him.
need him to do that. I'm in the tussle. I know we're all in the tussle. This isn't condemnation. I thank you, Lord, that you sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because of our unbelief. Concerning righteousness because you go to the Father and we no longer see you. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Lord, I pray that you will convict us tonight of where the flesh is rearing up inside of us to choke out the life of the Spirit. That you'll convict us where the unbelief and the seeds of the enemy are choking out the words of the kingdom that you've sown inside of us. Convict us tonight concerning sin, Holy Spirit. Convict us tonight concerning righteousness, God. You go to the Father and we no longer see you, but come and put a face on Jesus. Remind us of what righteousness really is as we see the righteous one. That right now, God, we would be delivered from our own relative comparison and we would see righteousness. We would not look to each other. We would look to you and we would see a vision of righteousness. Come Holy Spirit and convict us concerning righteousness tonight. And convict us concerning judgment. That judgment does not fall on us. There is no condemnation in Christ, but judgment falls upon the ruler of this world, Satan, who is judged, and that you would remove every scheme of hell and every spiritual assault, God, and every stronghold that is trying to work against the life flow of the Spirit of God in each one in this room. Convict us, Holy Spirit. Convict us and make us like Jesus. You know, if you want to respond to the Lord, I don't think this is an emotional response. If this is a response where you just want to respond and say, God, I just ask you please to convict me. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I just, you can come forward, you can kneel. This, I don't want this to be some glamorous, I just want it to be real. So if it's real, I just want you to respond to God and Grace is like water. It flows to the lowest place. And humility, a humble response, it, 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 it's how we learn to enter in. So just respond and just ask him. It's not about my prayer. It's about your prayer. Reach out and just ask him. Ask him for conviction. Ask him to touch you. Ask him to give you what you can't get for yourself. Ask him. Ask him out loud. You know, like the man who cried out for Jesus to heal him. It doesn't need to be comfortable. It doesn't matter what the person on your left or on your right thinks. It doesn't matter how loud you are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how quiet you are. Just, just, it's not about man. It's about God. It is about a God. It is about God. It's just about Jesus. Convict us, Lord. Convict us, God. Convict us, God. Root out what needs to be rooted out. We prayed and sang, 
that your hands would come. Mold us, mold me, mold me, God. Mold us, God. Mold us into a vessel that can carry your glory. Mold us into a vessel that can carry your power. Mold us into a people that can actually receive the things we pray for. Mold us, God. Convict us, God. Convict us, God. Save us from lukewarmness. Save us from mediocrity, God. Save us. Just save me. Save me from mediocrity in every form. Save me. Save me. Save us. Save us, God. Save us from our routines that block you out. Save us from our own imaginary timelines in our head that say how long prayer should be or how long worship should be or how long a sermon should go or how long prayer time should go. Save us. Save us, God. Save us from, save us. Just save us, God. Set us on fire. Lord, set us on fire tonight. Just set us on fire with a holy fire, God. Not emotionalism, not human zeal. With the zeal of the Lord. Lord, I ask that the zeal of the Lord will come again to the house of God. Lord, let your zeal touch us, God. Let your zeal touch us in such a way that it causes us to act in, in ways that bring up the fear of man. Lord, that, that we'd actually be uncomfortable. Lord, that we'd stop caring about our reputation. We'd stop caring about what people think. Lord, convict us. Convict us to the fear of man. Root out the fear of man convict us. God, I just pray that you would make it more uncomfortable here, not because of our doing, but because of your doing. I pray that you disturb us, God, that you would disturb us with the winds of a storm when we sail too close to the shore and we're afraid to venture out into the unknown. Lord, that your wind would disturb us, God, into places we've been scared to go. Lord, that you'd make it really uncomfortable here. Lord, that you'd raise up a remnant here. Lord, that you would just root it out, Lord, that you just root it out. You would root out the flesh, God. You would just root all it about, all of it out. Purify us. Make us holy, God. We're just, we don't have time to go through the motions. We don't have time to just go to church, Lord. People are dying, God. The world is falling apart, Lord. You, we're your answer, Lord. We're the conduits of the kingdom. Put an urgency in us, God. Put a holy urgency, God. Put an imminence. We don't have time to play games. We just repent, God. We're coming back to the heart of worship. It's you. It's your presence. It's your. It's the commandment, God, to just love you. Bring us back to first love. Come, Holy Spirit. Come as a convictor. Come and convict. Come and convict. Come and convict. Come and convict us, God.